is Mia Hughes for Public, and my guests on today's podcast are Professors Kathleen Lowry and Elizabeth Weiss, two anthropologists who have both been through several rounds of cancellation over the past few years for expressing beliefs out of sync with the political fashions of the era. Recently, Professor Lowry organized a panel titled Let's Talk About Sex Baby, Why Biological Sex Remains a Necessary Analytic Category in Anthropology for the American Anthropological Association and Canadian Anthropology Society Conference being held in Toronto from November 15th to 19th. But on September 25th, the seven participants were informed that their session had been removed from the conference program. The reason given for this decision was that the ideas to be discussed would cause harm to members represented by the trans and LGBTQI community. The Heterodox Academy, of which Professor Weiss is a fellow, uncancelled the panel and the seven anthropologists got to present their views on the importance of biological sex in anthropology on November 8th and due to the Streisand effect reached a much larger audience than they would have had activists not tried to silence them. So welcome Elizabeth and Kathleen, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Hi Mia. Hi. Now We'll start with introductions. Could you both introduce yourself? Tell me a little bit of background of, of your career and, and how you ended up talking to me today. Um, I guess I will start. Um, my name is Elizabeth Weiss. I'm a physical anthropologist and um, I'm a professor at San Jose State University, but currently I'm a um, faculty fellow at Heterodox Academy. And I'm also a National Association of scholars board member. Um, my area of expertise is looking at skeletal remains to reconstruct the past. And in that, I um, need to know <laughs> um, whether these individuals are male or females to improve those reconstructions and also to understand bone biology and forensics. Um, I have been at San Jose State since 2004, um, and uh, as we'll get into later, um, I had several um, things ar arise around the cancel culture um, that le led to um, me uh, engaging in a lawsuit against my university. So. Oh, okay. Wow, interesting. Kathleen? Hi, I'm Kathleen Lowry. I'm an associate professor of anthropology at the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada. And I have done most of my field work in an indigenous community in Bolivia called Isoso, where people speak Guarani. But it was actually because of being a South Americanist that I first became aware of the gender issue. And it had to do with a, a prior kind of giant kerfuffle in anthropology around 2001. Some people may have read Alice Drager's book, Galileo's Middle Finger. So she talks about, in one of the chapters, she talks about um, the work of Napoleon Chagnon and uh, a kind of antagonist of Chagnon was my um, thesis, one of my thesis supervisors, Terence Turner. And so I actually started out on the other side of this issue 
And I and I actually still think Alice Drager's chapter on Shagnon and the Yanomami is is really terrible. Um, she didn't speak to any Yanomami people, but I I kind of started out thinking, well, if she's wrong on that, she also has to be wrong on the trans stuff. And I was going to write an article about it, and I I just thought, well, you know, I need to figure out what exactly is it that these feminists on the other side, what are they mad about? And I, and it, you know, so I, and I really thought like, I I often think of the Gilligan's Island, like the three hour tour. I was like, well, I'll take a couple weeks, read the literature, be able to do a little literature review. And, you know, uh, that was it. (laughs) I, I started reading and I thought, oh gosh, the other side is right. I mean, the other side so that um, that got me interested in that issue. So I published um, a book on my South American work in 2020 called Shamanism and Vulnerability. But um, then I, I just became more and more interested in the gender issue, and I, I had a cancellation as well. And so, yeah, I kind of came into this at an oblique angle. That's fascinating. I actually didn't know that side of that part of your story, Kathleen. So for the listeners who might not know, Galileo's middle finger was written about the cancellation, well, more than just cancellation, the attempted, the attack on a sexologist, Michael Bailey, right? Yes, Am I right? That's, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So he- so he had written a book about autogynophilia, which is one of the one of the driving forces behind many men who identify as women, and for that he was viciously attacked, and they tried to cancel him. And a whole book was written about his his experience. That's what you're talking about. Well, yeah, now, yeah. It treats Galileo's middle finger was about a kind of. I don't know if there were more than two cases, but definitely the controversies were the one around Bailey and the one, then the one around Shagnon. And I, I still disagree with Drager's take on Shagnon, but I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Now let's get to your, so this is, this is a, that was a very brief background to how you came to Kathleen, I believe it was you who organized, it was your idea, the panel, which was, I love the name. <laughs> Let's talk about sex, baby. Why biological sex remains a necessary analytic category in anthropology. This is what we're here to talk about today, the cancellation of this panel. So before we get to the cancellation, let's go down to the very basics. What is anthropology and why is biological sex a necessary analytic category? So anthropology is just the study of humans really and so it it has it has it within north america in europe it's a bit different but within north america it has four subfields so elizabeth is a biological or a physical anthropologist she looks at our bodies the evolution of our bodies the adaptation of our bodies and she can supplement if i get anything wrong archaeology is the study of all of the material culture traces so like you know egyptian pyramids and you know pioneer fences whatever um, sociocultural anthropology is what I do. So the range of human diversity, cultural diversity around the world existing at any given time. And then linguistic anthropology studies kind of specifically because it's such as it's requires such specific expertise. It's an aspect of culture, but you really need special training to be a linguistic anthropologist. So that's the fourth 
subfield. But it's a very ambitious discipline. It doesn't always hang together that well. But it, when it does hang together, it kind of wants to tell the human story in a holistic way, which is exciting. So, Elizabeth, do you want to correct or supplement? Yeah. And, you know, you know, the other aspects of that is within each subfield, which within each subfield, there are subfields, <laughs> right? So, um, and some of the traditional ones um, include like with, within biological or physical anthropology, um, primate studies. So you have, you know, the, the three um, most famous primatologists, uh, Jane Goodall, um, Diane Fossey, and um, Galdicas, Baritas Galdicas, studying the, uh, studying, uh, who studied the apes, who were funded by, and founded and funded <laughs> by Louis Leakey, who was doing paleontology, so paleoanthropology of uh, looking at fossils. Um, and then you have crossover fields like um, bioarchaeology, which is sometimes what I'm referred to as, um, as an individual who studies the skeletal remains from the archaeological record. And medical anthropology, which is like social, uh, sociocultural anthropology, but with um, looking at um, illness and how they're treated in various cultures. So it, in, at its best... Anthropology is kind of like a interwoven uh, mesh of trying to understand all aspects of humans. And now in all of those, what you've just named, all of the subcategories, categories, is biological sex necessary in all of those branches? A recognition of the reality of biological sex? I would say yes. Um, I would say that it may not be necessary in every question asked in all of these categories, but I would say that you could think of questions or hypotheses in any of these categories where biological sex is important. And I'll say a little bit about physical anthropologists. So, for example, much of physical anthropology revolves around the study of skeletal remains. And if you're trying to reconstruct the past, and I'll go into this a little bit more, um, but if you're trying to reconstruct the past using bones, you have to start with controlling for differences that are biological, like body size, you know, um, bone mineral density. And if you don't do that, you'll come to the conclusion that, oh, well, females really didn't work that hard because their bones weren't very robust. And we just know this isn't true, right? Um, forensics, obviously, you have to know the sex to not only to help identify the victim, but also um, you have to know the sex to help determine age because age and sex are, are related. So that's another aspect. Um, so I think like for, for biological anthropologists, it's definitely essential. But even for archaeologists who are looking at artifacts, you know, things left behind that we made, you know, oftentimes there are questions about, you know, what was social structure like? And that is sometimes determined with grave goods. And if we're looking at sex differences in social structure, we won't need to know who was male and who was female. So I think that there's, for every 
for all of these subfields, I do think that biological sex and, and binary, you know, binary sex is an important category. And Kathleen, I, I assume you do too, because you yeah. this panel was your idea, am I right? Right. Uh, obviously, I agree. I was concerned that I was seeing more and more often um, sex being mapped onto gender. So we often see the, the term sex just not used at all, the term gender used instead, which, which actually means something different. And then a particular, I think, a very culturally bound understanding of what gender is, then becoming, um, being projected onto biology. And it's so interesting to see anthropologists do this, because this is one of the things that anthropologists analyze, the way that cultures tend to think of their own categories as natural and projecting their own categories onto the natural world. And, And to see your own discipline doing this very naively, like we've decided that gender works in this way, and thus it must be the case that nature follows our cultural assumptions and really insisting on it in a very disciplinary way. And you think, but this, like, guys, (laughs) this is what we study. I mean, we study the process of the ways, but we're now doing the thing that we're supposed to be experts on kind of diagnosing, so that that worried me quite a bit. I also had been thinking for a while that there was this interesting kind of overlap where you had on the one hand, I mean, I think biological sex is more obviously relevant in biological anthropology. Like you only have typically, but you sometimes you have people you can interview, you're looking at high altitude adaptation or whatever. Those are alive people, but often you're looking at bones. So you can't to find out the person's biography, you really have only the material to work with. Of course, one of the basic questions is, was this person a man or a woman? But in, so that's, of course, it's obviously an analytically relevant category there. But I also could see that there was a group of um, feminist anthropologists. I don't know if they would all describe themselves as radical feminists, but one of the things about Radical feminism in the popular mind is often understood as like, wow, the really crazy ones who hate men the most, where I think radical feminism is actually feminism that goes to the root. So what is the root of the kind of why are women in so many cultures? Why, why is the culture really obsessed with controlling them? And I think it's just true that that comes out of women being the pla- like the place where new babies are made and so the the source of new persons and so if you want to control people well you know you want to control the means of production of people <laughs> and so that that's like going to the root and so that kind of radical feminism and that kind of radical feminist analysis which often i think is is quite hostile to a to a kind of 1970s tradition of sociobiology that was often very sexist. I think now, I think both that evolutionary anthropology has has undergone a kind of feminist revolution of its own and radical feminists have kind of remained grounded in a certain way. And so there are these two kinds of scholars within anthropology who have often very different research interests, but both groups of whom know or both groups of which know, um, 
you have to have the category of biological sex in order to perform certain kinds of analysis. And so that just needs to be defended in the discipline. So, and I, yeah, I thought I can think of, I can think of a list of scholars and I, I, I will say it was intentional that it was all women scholars because I thought it would really be interesting to have um, a, a panel of women talking about these issues. So, and luckily, you know, the women that I contacted all said, yes, we think that's interesting. We'd like to be on that panel. Let's do it. Let me ask, let me add, sorry about that. Um, You know, about control, you know, we do see this kind of um, universal where, you know, near universal where women are the ones who are being more often controlled or the second citizens or so. And that, you know, part of that is about pregnancy and childbirth and, and the limitations that pregnancy puts on women um, with a wonderful outcome, of course, but, you know, um, but nevertheless, but also the other part of it is just the, the physical difference and strength between a man and a woman. And although there are, there's overlap, obviously, I think the overlap was less pronounced in the past because now much of the overlap is um, due to uh, attempted attempts at overcoming that overlap. Let's say like women bodybuilders, for example, right. As the extreme, but, um, you know, I think that um, this, the size and power difference um, enabled the dynamic of the control of women as well. And this is one of the concerns I think that um, was brought up in our panel by um, those who study um, sexual violence. Right, so we, I've got the panel here. You had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven members, all really interesting things. Everyone's got something really interesting to contribute. You you have to get this approved. Um, I, I, the way I understand it, you you put it all together. You you pitch it to the American Anthropological Association and. Sometime in July, wasn't it? They approved it. Well, there is actually a kind of complicated backstory. And I, you know, I, I don't want to be unkind, but the AAA has actually been very dishonest about this and their public representations of how our panel was approved because they tried to say, oh, we hadn't really seen their materials. We just saw a little, <laughs> a brief blurb and it was so anodyne and not kind of like we were, secretly, ha ha ha, we'll just write up a little blurb that says, I don't, you know, biological sex is nice. Um, and they were fooled and they let us in and then they realized, ah, oh, we were up to no good. And this is ludicrous. And I'll explain why. We actually first put this together because I think this is an important issue and a contentious issue. And I would say the unfolding of this has proven that it is an important and contentious issue. I put this forward to be an executive panel, and that's a very competitive process. So we had to get our materials in early. That was in January, January or February, 
anyway, January or February of this year. And um, it was rejected as an executive panel. And I noticed that there's a there's a three there are three people on the panel that that um, review executive panel proposals, and I, executive panel that is a very competitive process. So I'm not saying oh it was inherently unfair that we were not chosen. However, one of the three panelists is a woman named Sarah Shulist. She's an anthropology professor at Queen's University, and she when I during my cancellation, which we'll get to later. She published a series of articles essentially denouncing me. And so I, I just wrote and I said, can you please reassure me that during the selection process that Sarah Shulist recused herself because obviously she would not be a kind of neutral. And they wrote back and they said, oh, the process was very fulsome and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'm sure it was, but can you just tell me, did Sarah Shulist recuse herself? And they just never wrote back. <laughs> he didn't respond. So I think clearly she didn't. So I think the idea that they somehow were not aware of who we were, they were not aware of this panel. And we actually had sent, we'd sent an overall panel description. We'd sent abstracts for each of our papers. They had a full suite of materials. And I was very discouraged because I felt, anyway, I, I felt that this was very discouraging that this person had been, the AAA was not, and CASCA were sort of not responding to my questions about was this person. But Elizabeth, I have to say, she said, look, you've done all the work. Just send it again in, in as a regular panel. Like it's not at this point, because that's the hard part is writing all the abstracts and hurting everybody to get them in on time. Elizabeth said, you know, so she sort of bucked me up and said, just send it in again as a regular panel. And I appreciate her having done that. So I was like, okay, I sent them in as a regular panel. And then we did get accepted. And, but we got, and again, this could be innocent, but we got slated for a Sunday afternoon time slot, which is, you know, the death zone. People are leaving the conference. They're, they're going to their flights. So I did, you know, I did think, oh, did they do this on purpose because they didn't, they don't like us. But, but we, you know, you can't complain because it is a huge conference. Lots of people want to present. There are other people on the Sunday death zone. You know, it's not just us. And so we were going to go and, and make it. And I, I, I was joking around with someone that it's as if they kind of knocked the cup of hemlock from our hands, which they had handed. Like the Sunday panel is, is a cup of hemlock. Like just even if we were controversial, even if people were interested at that point, we, I think Elizabeth would agree. We would be lucky to have had a dozen people in the room. To listen to us. Oh yeah, <laughs> Elizabeth is nodding like <laughs> including a dozen the, people, including the panelists. <laughs> <laughs> but they knocked the cup of hemlock from our hand by canceling us, and now we've had something like you know three thousand people listen to our panel. So yeah, I'll 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 let Elizabeth supplement if she remembers anything I don't remember. Yeah, uh, I'll <clears throat> I'll add in there that. Um, on top of you know the 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 panel description and the abstracts, they had our full abstracts. This is what everybody sends in. We didn't send in less. We sent in the same. Uh, we sent it in twice. Therefore, it was reviewed twice. And um, the other thing is that um, the AAA 
also has where you um, choose a, a section that will review it or a, a subsection that will review it. And so we chose the, um, I think it's the um, Society for um, Anthropolo Anthropological Science, is that the SAS? Um, if I got that acronym wrong, sorry. But I do think it, it's a, um, and so they read it. It was approved. Um, <clears throat> So they knew full well what we were planning to present. They knew who we were. There was no, you know, cloak and dagger actions from us. Um, and they accepted it. And they, and they accepted it. We got the acceptance in July like everybody else and didn't hear anything um, after that to suggest that there was any trouble. Now, I will say that this kind of, um, narrative that, oh, well, they hid something or was kind of the same narrative that came up with my, um, I think it was 2021, if I'm not wrong, um, Society for American Archaeology Conference um, talk that was deplatformed. Um, and there was all this buzz about, did did Professor Wise actually send in an abstract that said something completely different? Is that how she got accepted? Like, no, I said in the abstract that I did and it was accepted. And then what I think happens is people then see when the preliminary program comes up and see what we submitted, that then a few squeaky wheels get upset and start the process of a cancellation. I think that that's really how how these things oftentimes go. Um, I'm less suspicious of the um, Sunday death zone because, as <laughs> Kathleen said, it's a huge conference. There have to be some talks on Sunday, um, so I do think that you know it could just be you know random. You know, I of course. Last year, I was also in the Sunday death zone, so maybe it's me that they're putting there. But, you know, uh, but, and, and last year's conference, I wrote an article about it for Minding the Campus called Anthropology in Ruins. And last year's conference was so poorly attended. Um, and I think that this is in part because, um, this hybrid nature of conferences right now, I don't think works well for large conferences. Many of the rooms were practically empty, even on the other days. So I, I personally um, don't like that hybrid aspect of, of conferences at all. Okay. Um, right. Let's, let's bring it to September 25th then. This is the day you find out. How long before the actual event was that that you actually get cancelled? About the event is in yeah. next uh, this weekend. Yeah, so not, oh, it hasn't even yeah, happened yet. Not quite two months, but by that time, you know, people had, you had to reserve hotel rooms because they fill up quickly. So people had reserved hotel rooms. That's refundable, so that's okay. Um, but you know, you've you've probably arranged a work schedule. You've um, you've booked a flight. You've you've done a lot. You've applied for funding. <clears throat> yeah, maybe applied for funding from your institution or decided to use if your institution gives you a certain amount of um, professional funding. But yeah, a lot. You know, 
the the wheels have already really begun rolling for individuals at that point. Because if you're here in July, well, everybody knows the farther in advance you make flight reservations, usually the better rate you get. And yeah. Yeah. And let me say the other thing is um, that the registration, there's, you know, the registration fee and the membership fee. I think that, I think that my registration and um, membership fee was like 750 altogether. So it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of money for if you're, if you're not going to be presenting. So how, tell, let's talk about the, the letter, email, letter, like how did you feel when you, when you first read it? I felt crushed. I mean, you know, you, you, you'd think that you'd get a tougher hide at some point. Um, you know, Elizabeth and I have both been through several rounds of cancellation of various kinds, but it, it is, it does feel like a kick in the teeth every time. Um, because, and I can't, what did they said something about, oh, it was it was against the settled science and the discipline. It was, you know, it didn't have scientific integrity. I mean, it's also this incredibly, I don't want to exaggerate. Um, there's no Stasi who's hauling anybody off to jail, but it it definitely does give you um a very unsettled feeling when you get this kind of I mean, Orwellian is maybe overused, but this language of this is against the settled science and the discipline. And it's it's not only that that language in itself is kind of Orwellian, but you continually, and I know, Mia, you'll know this as well as anybody, you continually have this very strange feeling that it's not as if we're advancing some weird theory of, you know, planetary motion, we're just saying humans are a sexually dimorphic species. This is not something outlandish. And yet it's now treated as either you kind of are, are your knowledge is very old fashioned or your knowledge is somehow really peculiar. Like this was a whole panel about how the moon in fact is made of green cheese and people just need to really hear. Um, and and it just, it feels kind of crazy making also. So I'll, I'll and it's actually, I have to say, I'm going to hand it over because it's Elizabeth sort of rode to the rescue again. So she rode to the rescue when she told me, go ahead and resubmit. And it's really thanks to her good offices that the cancellation didn't work the way I think AAA and Casca hoped, which is we've kicked you to the curb and no one will ever hear from you again. Ha ha. Yeah. I, I would, I would say I felt surprised, <laughs> which is ironic since I don't think I should feel surprised at these things anymore. But, um, and I had very mixed feelings because in some ways I felt sad for the anthropological discipline that they are going down this road of censorship. And I would say it's censorship since they had accepted it, it already and then decided to rescind it. This is the first time in 
the association's history, 122-year history, where they rescinded a panel. Um, so I felt sad for the discipline that they would make this decision. And then um, along the lines, um, you know, basically, um, I would say portray this dishonestly as, you know, settled science, as a, a lack of scientific integrity. And there are panels there that have, I would say, no science. <laughs> and, and yeah, I don't want to cancel them. I don't, you know, it's just, yeah, I just think that this is kind of an, an absurd reaction on their part. But then, as things were going, um, and I was very, I was very pushy, <laughs> um, and I said we have to put out a response right away. We have to, you know, because Kathleen's, I think, um, more thoughtful than I am. <laughs> she's like, we should hold off. We should take time to gather our thoughts and write it. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we will, we will write something right away and get it out there. Send it to the presidents as an open letter. We sent it to them first, of course, and then open letter so that everybody else can see it. And then I actually felt happy that we were canceled because we, we definitely had more of a, a um, we got a bigger audience and not all of them anthropologists, of course, but some of them and anthropologists and making two points and not just one, Two points. The one point that biological sex is important to discuss, and it is binary in humans. And then the second point that you shouldn't be canceling people. <laughs> That's not how science works. So I, you know, I do think that in a in a way, it turned out well for us. We were, you know, New York Times gave a very good write-up of the situation. I was very pleased. I remember talking to the journalist, and I said, oh, I, I joked around with him about, um, this isn't going to be a hit piece, is it? <laughs> and it wasn't. It was, like, very balanced, and, you know, I was very pleased with it. Um, and then there were, like, so many others that were excellent pieces, you know, Colin Wright, um, Jerry Coyne, and just lots of good material coming out of that. And I think that one of my favorite pieces was actually Kathleen Lowry's Uncompact, and highlighting not only the issue of the panel, but the issue of um, cancellation and the effect it has on people. So I just think that this was, um, you know, uh, it turned out very well for us in that sense. I believe it's what they call the Streisand effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really, it really was. But I, I, I do want to give a lot of credit to Elizabeth because she, um, she's you're kind of a great networker, and I, you know, I'm not. Um, even though I organized the panel, I'm less of an organized networker, and and so I think it was really the the connection she has that got a lot of attention to the cancellation. Thank you. So your open letter was brilliant. I have it right here before me. And I particularly love the part where you take aim at this 
you're accused of compromising the scientific integrity of the program and you you come back with what their actions look very much like an anti-science response to a politicized lobbying campaign so it's it's quite the accusation they're they're very much accusing you of what they're guilty of it it certainly appears now did you did you see the response that came after your open letter where they sort of doubled down on well I, Elizabeth on your cancellation? may say the same thing, but we were sort of so startled by that doubling down that we at first were not sure that it was real. We thought, well, maybe this is, you know, maybe this is some random loose cannon portraying themselves as speaking for the AAA because we thought they couldn't. It's It's so inflammatory, kind of childish. I think this is the one that also had the line about the three subspecies of orangutans means that, <laughs> that, that. and you thought, Oh, come on. you know, I, you couldn't, this couldn't be what the AAA, this couldn't be what they want to be their, their public face. So we had a, we had an internal discussion about whether to respond to it. And the consensus was, this is probably not what it purports to be. And then, and then we realized, no, this is really, this is what the AAA and the CASCA, what they wanted to be their public statement. It was just so embarrassing. Elizabeth, do you want to add anything? Okay. And, and I want to say is, um, I think I was the most skeptical of the loose cannon thing because I was like, who would take the time to do this? <laughs> so I was like, why would they bother impersonating the AAA? <laughs> but... The, but there was reason also to to think that it might be loose cannon because one thing is we didn't see it until it had been reported by others. So they did not send us a reply. It was like they um, and I can't remember if it was like we heard a journalist was talking to one of us and mentioned it and that. I can't I don't remember, remember either. But it wasn't, but it wasn't that. Um, you know what? Was it? I, maybe it was as late as the, when we had the Chronicle of Higher Education or Inside Higher Education. I can't remember if it was Chronicle of Higher Education or Inside Higher Education journalist. But um, but we we were not contacted by the AAA at all for a long. Even with even with requesting. Um, refunds. It took multiple emails, multiple requests to get any response from them um, to us. So that's one another reason why we thought, is this a AAA? And of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got to I've got to bring it back. We have to go back to the three forms of the adult orangutan because that's the part that leapt out at me when I read it and I I was like, I have to check this citation. I have to see what the third form of orangutan is. And it turned out to be male a male orangutan with some sort of endocrine disorder who doesn't go through doesn't go through puberty and the word male is used all the way through the the, the paper that's yeah. your third sex yeah yeah and actually in my intro to human evolution class i always talk about this these cases this case and when it was first studied and how people tried to figure out whether 
these males, whether this was a biological variant um, of delayed puberty, because some of those males do become adults, or whether it's related to stress. And we do know that stress affects biology. So, you know, it's like, um, you know, it's along the same lecture as what creates infanticide. You know, I think that there's this kind of weird normalization of pathology that's going on where if some, like the, one of the things that Kathleen and I discussed in our response in the uh, um, anthropology news, the commentary that we wrote together is that intersex or disorders of sexual development is not the same as non-binary or trans or whatever gender you want. This is a, pathology, a disease mostly congenital, and most of these individuals are um, incapable of having children or of make or of making a female pregnant. Um, and so this this is not a third or fourth or fifth sex. This is a pathology. It's just, you know, there, there are pathologies of all sorts. There's extra teeth. We don't we still say, you know, that the normal amount of teeth is 32, right? We don't say, well, you know, humans have somewhere between 30, 30 and 40 teeth. You know, that's, you know, if you have an extra finger, it's, that's considered a pathology. And, you know, there's like this now moral tone of you can't say, you can't say something's congenital defect or disease, or, you know, that, that you're being judgmental. You're not. You're just being truthful and actual, and there's no judgment tied to that. It's not that I think that this is somehow immoral to have something like this. It's just not the same as a trans, um, trans issue. You've reached the end of this episode of the free version of Public's podcast. To access the full version, become a paying subscriber at public.substack.com.